Unfortunately, this episode of Straight Outta Combat Radio got lost in the mix. Recorded several months ago, it was recently found in a file that had accidentally gotten placed into another file. I'm sure you all know how that can happen sometimes. Well, anyhow, it's a story that needs to be told. This United States Army officer was confronted with images of her own death. It was then that she realized she wasn't quite finished yet. And I'm happy to say that she did make it back to the state safely. She went through her transition, and she has a story that needs to be told. I was humbled, and I was honored to have her interview on Straight Outta Combat Radio. And thank you for listening to another episode. Your steely-eyed killer shadow in the night You were born to fight You gotta light them up My name is John Krotek, and I want to welcome you to Straight Outta Combat Radio, audio medicine by Green Zone Hero. We're here to honor the wisdom of America's most valuable asset for combat veterans. We're authentic, we're empowering, we're American. Welcome to Straight Out of Combat Radio. My name is John Crotech. I'm a U.S. Army veteran, and we have a very special Army veteran guest today. Her name is Nina Lorraine Herman. She's a United States Army officer. Actually, she was in finance, and we're glad to have her here. Maybe she can school me on that. She served our country for seven years. She had a deployment in Iraq, was attached to the 5th Special Forces Group out of Fort Campbell, during 2005 to 2006. She does have a degree, obviously. She's a finance <laughs> officer. She went to the University of Tampa and got her degree in finance. After the service, seven years I just mentioned, she went to work for a defense contractor in Alaska as a project manager. And then because of some uh, health issues, which she'll relate in her story, uh, she ended up going into alternative medicine alternative health and this is where her skill sets really start to just rock i mean she she's got so much experience in these types of modalities um it's just it's fascinating she's a certified rolfer and i know she's gonna tell me exactly what that means but that's something that i want to learn more about she's a licensed massage therapist she's a certified personal trainer she's a certified corporate wellness specialist uh, she's a yoga instructor and <laughs> that's not easy stuff and she's also a certified integrative nutrition health coach and uh, she's done all of those things and so much more uh, and she's going to tell those uh, to us today but now she's a realtor so I, I, I got to see how this transition goes from all of these interesting health and nutrition aspects of living to real realty She's an agent here in Lakewood Ranch, Florida, and has a company called Easy Decision Group, and they're attached to Keller Williams Realty Select. Um, Going to hear a little bit more about that, but you know, I'm just really honored to have her here on Straight Out of Combat. You know, uh, anybody that's worn the uniform and raised that right arm is a special person, and. To go to combat and survive and come back, and then to do all these fascinating things, it's a very special person. But I just, you know, welcome to the radio show, and uh, thank you. Thank you, John. So, all these things, you know, it's always nice to hear a little bit about yourself. Um, you know, you always think, wow, is that really me? But it is you. And these things that you've done, 
uh, mean a lot to our listeners, but obviously they mean a lot to you. And what I really want to do, and you know what we're trying to do with the show, is we're trying to diminish the negative stereotype of the combat veteran and veterans in general. You know, every time something happens and a veteran's involved, and you know this, Nina, that, you know, they have a hair trigger. Um, they're, they're out of control. They're angry. They're mean. They're mad. And, you know, since we started this journey four months ago on Straight Out of Combat, I'm finding it's just the opposite. But to get started, we want to know about you. <laughs> and tell us about your background, your childhood, and the things that uh, make you who you are. Yeah. All right, so I grew up in Lawrence, Kansas, and I have an older brother and a younger sister, so I'm the middle child. And I actually had a pretty fabulous childhood, considering that I have two of the most amazing parents ever. Um, very supportive. What I remember from my childhood is a lot of church. We did a lot of church activities. Um, I did grow up with some learning disabilities, which, you know, I, I don't like, but at the same time, it's really shaped who I am. Um, I was pulled out of classes pretty much most of my life uh, for remedial classes, which resulted in being bullied and made fun of a lot. Um, but I didn't want to be separated from the other kids, so it made me try that much harder and really um, forced me to prove others wrong about me. And so it's amazing the things that I've accomplished trying to prove others wrong. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Is it, did you, were you involved in sports and all that? Did you excel? I, I wasn't. Well, yes and no, I guess I should say. Um, my brother, who's older, um, is a phenomenal athlete. Anything he wants to go out and do, he makes the team. doesn't matter how hard the competition is, he makes it. So I was always in the shadow. And, you know, I've read stories about or studies on siblings and how if one of them is really great in athletics, the other one is really great in um, education, academics. Um, I really wasn't all that great in academics, um, but I did, just from my learning disabilities, but I did spend a lot of time in academics just trying to make that my thing, I guess. Um, but I did do, I did play tennis and track in middle school, but that was about the extent of, uh, it was more, more or less just playing around. It really wasn't, I was no competition to anyone. So you went to high school in Lawrence, Kansas? I did. Yes. What, what was that? I mean, was it rolling hills out there? Or a lot of, it's dairy land, isn't it? Or wheat? Uh -huh. I don't know about Dairyland. We're um, in Lawrence. You know, it's it's where the University of Kansas is. So I'm a huge Kansas Jayhawk fan, and uh, it's right in between uh, Kansas City and Topeka. Um, so it is pretty rolling hills. It's not the flat. Um, you know, most people when they think of Kansas, they've driven through it one way or the other across I-70 um, out to Colorado, and it's flat and boring. And so most people think of Kansas as that, and uh, Lawrence is definitely not like that. It's a beautiful area, beautiful. Did you go camping or did you do any of those things, fishing or? We did, We my brother and my father are huge fishermen. Um, so, and my grandfather had a houseboat on a lake, on Perry Lake. Um, so we would spend vacations out there on the lake and go fishing. But I remember a lot of, I have a lot of memories of going fishing with my dad. But most of the time, you know, it's just me in the pool and he would have to change everything out for me. 
It probably wasn't much fun if you weren't catching anything, was it? No, of course not. No. It never is. So how did you... Okay, so you're in Lawrence. You get out of high school. And did you go mm -hmm. to college out there? I did. Um, at the time, the University of... Can or any Kansas state school, um, they automatically accepted anybody who graduated from a Kansas high school. And so the first year was really a weed-out period. And we grew up with neighbors who were professors at KU who told my parents they would never let a freshman go to KU. So my parents, and my parents knowing my disabilities, they didn't want me to have to go through that weed out period my freshman year. So they told me I needed to go to a community college. Uh, so I started out in a community college there. And then my parents had an opportunity to move here to Florida. And so my parents moved here to Bradenton uh, my sophomore year in college. And I ended up deciding to stay. You in, stayed in Kansas? I stayed yeah. in Kansas. I was had moved out. I was living on my own. I had my I had a job working at a bank, and I was like, oh, I've got this covered. You guys go on ahead. I'm good here. And um, <laughs> I ended up getting sick. I got mono, and I couldn't go to school. I couldn't go to work. And so my parents and I was coming home for Thanksgiving anyway. So my parents just moved up my ticket, had me fly down so that they could take care of me. And my how how old were you? Like nineteen? I was probably nineteen. Yeah. Um, my plane was delayed because they had to de-ice the plane and I get to Florida and it's 80 degrees and I was like, what, what am I thinking? Why, why didn't I move? Um, so we spent some time over the Christmas and Thanksgiving break um, visiting colleges around the area and I fell in love with the University of Tampa and ended up transferring um, and starting that January. And what year was that? That was in 1998. Well, January of 1998 is when I started at UT. Okay, that's pretty cool. So you decided to go into finance or business or what were you? What, yeah, my. How'd you pick that major? So I've, in, growing up, instead of playing with like dolls or teacher, I played with business sets. My entire closet was turned into a business. I'm not kidding. I had like, <laughs> I had like. Which a machines. file cabinet? In it. I don't know that I had a file cabinet, but I had like shelving that had like all kinds of papers and invoice pads and. I had all like the checkbooks and the coins and play money, um, <laughs> yeah. So. Um, so you're no, hold it now. You had you had you never had a doll. Well, I did have dolls, but in in every now and then I would play. But majority of my time was all spent playing business, and I would run a business in my closet hey, who by myself. Who would you run a business with? Were you just <laughs> I was your, by myself. You? Nobody wants to play business. <laughs> That's not entirely true. Every now and then a friend would come over and we'd play business. But So you guys would like write checks to each other or just uh, yeah. act like you were at the... I, that's, that's, uh, that's interesting. So, yeah. So, so people so, always told me, you know, one day you're going to open up your own business. And I didn't necessarily know what that meant. Um, I, but I just started telling people I'm going to own my own business one day. That's what I was going to do. Well, it makes sense. So, you know, so you're playing, you know, no dolls, all file cabinets and adding machines. You make it to college. No <laughs> doubt your, your major's finance. So you get that. How, what's the, how do you get into the Army? What's going on with that? Well, so back to my major. My initial major was actually international business. And when I was in college back in Kansas, I had um, attended a seminar. Um, and they had ambassadors come in, um, U.S. ambassadors and they were talking about the State Department and so and jobs at the State Department and the uh, foreign affairs of the State Department became like my dream job and they said to be able to do that you need to be in the Peace Corps or the military 
And I was like, huh, I don't, I don't know that I could survive. I don't know that I could do either of those. Um, so maybe I need to cross that off my list. And I ended up, when I transferred to the University of Tampa, some of the very first people that I met at UT were in the ROTC program. They were in your classes or you just... They were in my they classes. They were just some of the first people that I met in orientation and just started hanging out with. And all of their conversations were about ROTC. And so, you know, in the conversation, I was like, huh, if they can do this and it sounds this cool, I can do this. And so I went and talked to um, the recruiter and ended up on a scholarship and left that summer um, to go off to a camp. My dad was in Vietnam. Where'd you go to camp? Um, I went to Fort Knox. It was basic camp at Fort Knox. Yeah. Basic officer's camp. Basic. Um, I don't know what they call it. It's, it feels like it's been forever ago. I'm not sure what they call it, but um, I did not, because I did not was not in the ROTC program the entire four years, um, they send um, cadets to this camp if they they're don't attend the first two years to learn. So you're essentially catching up on all of the things that you should have been learning through the whole time. So I, um, I was on a three-year scholarship. Um, and so I went to the basic camp for six weeks to figure things out. That's cool. Well, so your dad was in Vietnam. My dad was in Vietnam. and so Before I, you were born. Right, right, right. Okay. Yes. I'm just, okay. Um, I had to clarify that. <laughs> my dad was in Vietnam and... Was he army guy? He was army. Yeah. And when he, when I came home and told him that what I wanted to do, uh, his response was, "I'm not having a daughter in the army." Uh, you know, his obviously um, the response for a veterans back then to what it is now is completely different. And he was not going to have a daughter in the military to experience anything like he did. Um, and he didn't really. What I remember is he didn't really speak to me for about a month. And how did um, you feel about that? Was that I. I don't know how I felt. I I remembered feeling like he, I knew he would come around because he is it's the most amazing man, um, very supportive. And he, he did, and he so proud. I mean, he came out to both my parents. I've always been so incredibly supportive. Um, both of them came out for my graduation um, out at basic camp in, at Fort Knox. Um, both of them came out to my graduation in... Um, so the ROTC program, there's a basic camp and then there's advanced camp before your, your last year of, of college. And they both flew out to Fort Lewis in Washington for my graduation there. Um, so they are so extremely proud of, of what I've done, but there for a while it was... <laughs> Touch and go. And You're right. <laughs> so you, okay, so you were second lieutenant. Yes. And then uh, you went through advanced camp at Fort Lewis. Yes. And you got your college degree. Yes. And you're you're definitely tracking. You're a hard charger. And then where do you go? So my first duty station. Well, of course I went to school at Fort Jackson first. But um, and my first Fort Jackson is finance. That's where Fort the fi Jackson is finance. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, actually, I spent the summer at Fort Lewis. Back at Fort Lewis, doing the advanced camp on st being on staff for the advanced camp. So assessing new new lieutenants coming on board and making sure that their pay was all set up. Spent the summer doing that. Went off to school at Fort Jackson, the officer basic course. And then from there I went to South Korea. That's with the 2nd Infantry Division. Um, I was not. I was with Hunter and I was with, I don't remember. 
The 176th Finance Battalion. So 2nd Infantry was up north. So you were in Seoul? I was south of Seoul in Camp Humphreys. Yeah. So I was actually, our our headquarters was out of Seoul, and then a remote detachment was at Camp Humphreys. So I was um, the disbursement officer at Camp Humphreys. Did you um, eat a lot of kimchi while you were there? I didn't eat any. I couldn't even handle the smell. <laughs> no way. Did you Did you eat any of the local food? Oh, I did. I love um, I love the bulgogi. I love the yakimadu. That? That? That's like the marinated beef. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. So, sounds tasty. <laughs> and yeah, so you, okay, so you're in Korea, and then what? What's going on? Um, Was that your first? Four years? Was that your first two years? That was my first um, That's year. A year deployment, yeah. Yeah. Once I finished there, I, I had asked to go to DFAS Orlando because I wanted to be back close to my family. Um, it was hard on my family for me to be overseas, and so I wanted to be close. Um, and initially they said, yeah, right. <laughs> In your dreams, will you go to DFAS Orlando? And they put me on orders for um, <laughs> Fort Jackson, actually. And like six weeks later or so they came back and said we were able to work a miracle for you and you're going to defast Orlando. Awesome. I remember just sitting at my desk um, and reading that email and just crying and just could not wait to tell my parents. So I So what year was that about? So I PCS to defast Orlando in two thousand three, January two thousand three. February actually, I think. So nine eleven had already happened and we were already at war. Yeah. Nine eleven happened when I was at OBC. Mm-hmm. And um, we were actually taking a test in school that day. And just for my learning disabilities, it takes me a while to read. And so I'm one of the last in the room to take the exam. And an individual who had already finished their exam had gone home, saw the news, came back and wrote it on the board to get the message to us students. Mm-hmm. And it just happened to be a student that's a kind of a prankster. And so I remember sitting at my desk and looking up to what he was writing to see the World Trade Center bombed. And I'm, you know, like, ha- like, just dis- completely distraught. Like, c- no, he can't be, like, we're taking a test. No, he can't, this, that, that can't be true. He can't be writing that on the board. But why would he be writing that on the board while we were taking the exam? Um, so I finished my exam and immediately, like, run to my um Run to my room and, and start reading or watching the news to, to find out what happened. How did you feel? Probably like every other American, but how did yeah. you feel? Oh, completely. Just, I mean, Because you're just wearing sobbed. the uniform. You're wearing, right. yeah. I just sobbed. Um, I remember thinking immediately, you know, just knowing how my parents, how my dad felt about Vietnam and just immediately thinking, what are my parents thinking? You know, like just, I know that they're now more scared for me. Yeah. So, the, so you're in Orlando. Um, and then how did you make it to Iraq? So each of the DFAS, loca- and DFAS Orlando is no longer there, but um, at the time, each of the DFAS has had customers per se, um, installations and areas that were their customers. And the USASOC, United States Army Special Operations Command out of Fort Bragg was one of our customers. And they came to my commander uh, the comptroller did, uh, came to the commander and asked if I could deploy in support of one of their units, which was the 5th Special Forces Group out of Fort Campbell. It would give me, it, you know, as a, as a captain, I didn't have some of the opportunities that a major would. So to be a comptroller, you had to be a major in a, um, in a functional area. And so to be able to deploy as a comptroller, assistant comptroller, um, 
you know, I wanted that opportunity. And of course, you know, once once we went to war, you want to be able to support the mission. You want to be able to support the people. And so I was like, yes, I'll go. And of course, everybody in the brother was like, you could have said no. It wasn't like I was assigned to a unit that had to go. Um, but I, I, I felt like that was something that I had to do. What was the ramp up like? Well, how did they get you ready to prepare you for that? Um, so because the unit was out of, out of Fort Campbell, um, I went up to Fort Campbell and, and spent about a month uh, doing training. And we did a um, PDSS, pre-deployment site survey. And so I went over to Iraq for a week and um, got to see where I'd be um, doing the mission, what I would be doing, and then came back. And I, I've, you know, like that was such an incredible blessing for me and for my family so that my family could see and, you know, hear what I would be doing. And I was able to take a few pictures um, like of where I'd be living. And so then, then they could visualize it. And, so that um, was Baghdad. You were basically in Baghdad? Or? I spent about a month in Balad, and the rest of my time was in Baghdad. Okay, yeah. what were you doing there? So, so you came back to the States, and then you were here for, what, another month or so, and then... I don't remember the exact time, but about a month, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. so... Because 2005 and 2006, isn't that like right before the surge? Uh, that's a good question. I, I don't, there's a lot that I well, tried to like not remember. Yeah, you were just focused <laughs> on your mission. So, so where were you at? So you were in Balad and then you went down to Baghdad and what was your mission? You took care of paying the soldiers So or, or something else. So something else. So, um, something I was top secret, <laughs> not top secret, <laughs> not, um, but we trained the Iraqi or the unit that I was supporting trained the Iraqi Special Operation Forces. And my responsibility was, uh, there was funds set aside for the Iraqi Special Operation Forces, and I tracked all of those funds that were set aside for the Iraqi Special Operation Forces. So basically those was the monies used to help train their forces. To train them, to equip them, their, um, their buildings, their... Um, fire stations, their cafeterias, their bunks, um, their offices, um, their gear. Yeah. Mm. You know, you were telling me a story, you know, um, about something that happened to you when you were traveling in traffic. And uh, I think it's an important story because I think um, it tells a little bit about you and where you, you know, where your mindset's at, especially when we get to all the things that you've done um, since you got back with nutrition and you know health and mindfulness and spirit and body. Tell us about that. I was incredibly blessed in my experience while deployed. I, I didn't have to see the things that other people saw. I was in an office majority of the time. Um, I would have to travel um, from my location over to the green zone, but most of the time I traveled via helicopter. Um, and every now and then a helicopter wouldn't be available and I would still have to go and so I would travel by vehicle. And I had told my parents, you know, this really in my position in somebody with my job, the real threat would be traveling on roads. And I had told in the convoys and I had told my parents that I didn't have to do that, that I traveled by helicopter and I was safe. And 
I never really alluded to the fact that I sometimes, um, and really there was only maybe three times that I had to travel by road. And on one particular instance, um, we had gone to the green zone, we were on our way back, and I'm in a regular vehicle, I'm not in a military vehicle. And on our way back... Was that just so you could blend in? Just... Y yes. Okay. And... Um, I mean, I don't think we're discussing operational security yeah, here, are we? No, I don't think so. Um, so, yes, we were in a regular vehicle, not up armored, um, just like a Ford Focus. You know, I don't, I don't remember what type of vehicle it was, but it was just a little sedan. And we were, you know, we wanted to blend in as if we were a local. And I had the headdress on. Um, my weapon was at my feet. I was okay with that because when you're traveling at high speeds on the highway, nobody can really tell the difference. And on this particular day, we were traveling back uh, to our location and the traffic was insane. Like bumper to bumper and nobody was getting anywhere and these drivers decided to turn around in place. So there was like six or seven lanes of traffic and everybody is in different directions. It, it was like a, I don't even, can't even think of the terminology, but you had cars turning this opposite direction as you on the. So there were no lines, there was nothing. It was there just, was no was lines, and so. Pandemonium. Now I'm, we're facing, let's say we're facing north. There's now a car a foot from us that's facing south, and now, and we're going nowhere. We're moving inches. And they can now look into the car and yeah. see us. And I remember just in such fear that they were really going to see that we weren't locals and then take action upon us. Um, we had an Iraqi interpreter with us who was giving us directions. And we had to um, find another way, another route back to our unit. Um, and so he, he wasn't exactly familiar with how to do that. And so he took us on all these different routes and we got lost. And I just remember these areas you could tell had been, um, there's like nobody there. You can tell that they had been um, blown up. Um, and I just remember thinking, I, I've, I, I've lied to my parents. I've told them that I don't travel by road and it, we're, we're doomed, you know. Um, and it didn't, hit me until and obviously we made it back safe no no problems um it didn't hit me until three years ago and i had closed another business and a movie trailer came on and it the in that movie trailer it was somewhat of a same scenario and i just lost it so for three days cried couldn't didn't leave my um apartment and you know, people would tell me periodically, you have PTSD, you have PTSD. And I was like, no, I don't, you know, like I didn't experience anything, nothing, absolutely nothing compared to these soldiers in combat and to see what they saw every day. There's no way I have it. I recognized then like there was something from that that really caused turmoil in me and I didn't recognize it until that instant, until that movie trailer came on. And what I really, you know, I've really have spent a lot of time thinking about it and um, pondering what, what was it about it and 
it was the fact that I thought I was going to lose my life being somebody, pretending to be somebody that I wasn't. And a lot of my life, I think I felt like I've never really been able to be who I am because certain things have kept me from really expressing who I am. And the thought of I was going to lose my life and never, nobody was ever really going to know who I was. Um, I think that's really what the, the biggest impact of why that had such an emotional trigger for me. Well, you know, I'm certainly glad you're here and I know a lot of other people are, (laughs) but, uh, thank you for sharing that. And so you did your deployment, you came back to the United States in 2006 and where were you? You were deployed at JSOC at Fort Bragg. I wasn't deployed with JSOC. No. Um, you were assigned to them. uh, So I came back from Iraq um, I was I went back to my duty station at, in DFES, Orlando, and then shortly thereafter I went on to the next the officer advanced course, captain's career course is what it's called. Sorry. Okay. Where were... So the captain's career course, I went back to Fort Jackson, and then from Fort Jackson PCS to Fort Bragg, in which I was assigned to JSOC at Fort Bragg. Okay. So then, then what happens? You're you're already thinking about making a career out of the army because you're already into this for six years or seven years now. Right. I I don't know that I was ever thinking of it as a career. I knew I wanted to do it as long as I was having fun. And the experience that I had in Iraq, the job that I was able to do, I really loved what I was able to do there. And so I, I wanted to be able to stay in as long as I could do those type of things. And so I was able to, to some degree, continue on at JSOC. But I also had a an extreme amount of pain and in my back and my neck and my joints and of no fault of the army at the time but their answer was medication and so I took a lot of medication three different types twice a day and um, there was another experience I had a one of my civilian employees passed away suddenly Uh, she was 35 at the time left Mm -hmm. behind a nine-year-old and a three-year-old and her husband was deployed in Afghanistan at the time. That experience, that that impacted me probably a significant amount. I, um, she was one of my civilian employees and I had, she had come to work for two weeks um, complaining of a migraine headache. And for those two weeks, she still came to work every single day. Mm. Um, but there were a couple days that she couldn't drive home uh, she would had the blurriness or it was just so intense that she couldn't drive. So there was a couple times that I drove her home because she had the two kids that she was taking care of on her own um, while her husband was deployed. Um, I'd gone one day and took her kids and they came with me. I don't remember what exactly we did, but I just wanted to take care of the kids so that she could be on her own and she wouldn't have to worry about them. And that evening I took them back to her house and... That night she had a MRI scheduled. Just due to the amount of volume of people, um, they do MRIs 24 hours a day, I think, um, there at Fort Bragg. And so her MRI wasn't scheduled until like 9 o'clock that night. I knew she couldn't drive, so I took the, the kids to the neighbor's house and then I um, drove her to Fort Bragg and then drove her back that night. You know, she, she went to sleep. Uh, we were joking around that night. I thought she was okay. And I left her. Hmm. 
I go to work the next morning. Our, our sergeant major who had been out of town or on vacation um, gets a call from somebody and uh, he's yelling, you know, where's Stephanie, where's Stephanie? And I'm like, she's not coming in, she's, you know, at home. And he tells me, this woman says she's dead. And I... I'm definitely sorry like, to hear that. I mean, no, what happened? she's Is not. It... Um, so it turns out she had a, uh, um, she had a brain tumor. Mm. And they didn't know until they did the autopsy. So... So it must have been an, an aneurysm, or it wasn't an aneurysm. It was a brain tumor. Yeah, it just wasn't caught. So mm. that had a significant impact on me, and just the stress and my pain. And I realized that I I wasn't having fun anymore, and so I got out from there. So then you get out of the service. You're not having fun, but you go right back <laughs> to defense that. contracting. I mean, yeah, I so. I got out. I wanted to start my own business. And I actually in, in the health realm, and I got out in 2008. Most of my time while I was in the Army, any vacation that I got, I went home. I didn't get a chance to really travel because I wanted to spend every time I can with my family, which is um, such a um, huge part of my life. And so when I got out of the Army, I was like, I'm going to traveling. So I spent like four months just traveling, going to different places, and... Um, on my last What was the coolest place you trip. went? Oh, my coolest. Well, you know, I had been around the world, but I had never been to California. And so uh, my best friend from, from high school lives in Phoenix. So I had spent like three weeks with her in Phoenix, and then I drove up um, the coast of nice. California by myself. Yeah, it's beautiful. And spent about two weeks doing that. And that was just, that was amazing. Yeah. So on my on my last day of vacation before I was flying out the next day, I get a call from a gentleman that um, I'd been in the army with, and he had retired and went to go work for a defense contractor. And he calls me up and says, "I need somebody with your skill set to move to Alaska um, to open up an office there." I was like, "Hmm. Okay. So this is my last trip. 2008. The market had crashed." I saw some significant things happen while I, was, while I was traveling, and I was already on this last trip recognizing now is not the time for me to start a business. I, I need to go back and start looking for a job. So I'd already put that in my mind, and then this gentleman calls me, and I was like, are you kidding me? Isn't that the way the universe works? Yeah. You know, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So I, I flew back home the next day, and I think the following day I went in to interview with his boss. Um, and then, like, maybe two weeks later, I was in Alaska. Nice. Yeah. I mean, it's, was it during the winter time or? It was November. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you're from Kansas. You, you can take yeah. the cold weather. You know, I was in Sitka, Alaska, which is, is in a rainforest. Yeah. And so there would be times it would be colder in Florida than it would be there. Wow. Because you're so protected with by the cloud cover, essentially. So I think the whole time that I was there... Um, which I ended up being there 18 months. The it, the le- the lowest it got, I believe, was like 25 degrees, and most of the time it was between like 30 and 40. So that's really not too bad. So you were there what a year? So I was there 18 months. Oh, a year and a half. Yeah. So I I was there. They had no office. There, that was a so contract I, job, though, right? Yeah. So you were. I went I went there, set up an office, hired all the staff, trained them. And then you came back to Florida. And then from there, actually, I went back to Fort Bragg. So you were back in the service? I wasn't back in the service, sorry. Let me, okay. I went back to... Something, um, something secret going on here. Yeah, no, I wasn't back in the service. 
while I was in Alaska, I, I connected with a friend of mine. Um, I traveled a lot. So while I was in Alaska, our headquarters was still out of um, Fayetteville, North Carolina, which is where Fort Bragg is. And so I'd have to, and then just the contract basis was out of Washington, D.C. So I traveled a lot between back and forth to Fayetteville and then to D.C. And so on one of my trips, I connected with a friend of mine and we ended up getting married. And so I went back to, and he's still in service, um, but so I went back to Fort Bragg to get married and he was stationed at Fort Bragg. So then I became a military spouse. <clears throat> I think, so you have that experience too. Yeah, so that's, yeah. I think a military spouse was harder. <laughs> you know, I've heard that. Um, we can go into that, but I really want to know um, more about your your training for all these great things and what led you to the health and mind and body and what was it called? Soul, mind, body or... There's, there's like three yeah, things. mind, body, spirit. Mind, body, spirit. There yeah. you go. See. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, we won't go into all some of those things. Right. Right. Uh, but you know, how did you get there? Because I think that that's pretty significant that you've gone from, you know, army officer, female type, into uh, into all these great things for health. Right. So while I was in Alaska, I had heard about certified rofers. Or I heard about roughing. Yeah, that's like um, deep tissue thing. It's, a, so it's also known as structural integration. Um, Dr. Ida Roth is the one who um, designed it, created it. So that's why it's called roughing. Essentially what a chiropractor does with bones, a roffer would do with soft tissue. And so we look at the entire body and identify where the soft tissue is out of alignment. And when the soft tissue is out of alignment, it is then pulling your bones out of alignment, essentially. And so if we can free up the soft tissue or the fascia, um, the fascia is what wraps around every bone, every organ, every nerve, every uh, muscle, every muscle group in your body, and it it connects you head so to toe. So how often should you do that? I mean, it sounds it sounds pretty intense, you know. <laughs> well, so we we can make a whole entire session session just on rolfing, but um, it is generally a ten step series, and right. so they look at the entire body. And Dr. Rolf created such a a pattern of how you address the body and like the first session is just identifying where where you're limited in breath you know what's restricting your breath whether it be your clavicle whether it be your rib cage whether it be whatever it may be the first session is just on breath and then we build from the foundation and so forth so I my mom had my mom had experienced rolfing when I was in high school my brother had some with his sports had some pain and so they had been recommended to go to a rolfer and given our church background my mom was like no that's that's way out of our league we're not dealing with that um, but his pain persisted and so my mom's like okay well if he's going to go I'm going to go too so I know what it experience uh, it will be like my mom it did so much for my mom she became a huge believer in it However, back in the time when roughing first started, it was excruciatingly painful. I've and heard so, that. I've heard that. Like, did you sticks on people or no? <laughs> no, I've heard no, that. Like, it's like but, deep tissue. They, yeah. They dig deep. They dig deep. So it's it like used release to be, all those. What is the thing they say that it releases what? Like when you're. Uh, like adhesions. But I mean like with, with massage in general, it releases. Um, what are the things that tension, you're supposed to? But you're supposed to drink a lot of water because it releases toxins. Some, well, some kind of chemical in your body. What I mean, I'm not. I'm not sure that, where you you're know going. You know what but, it is. I, I just can't think of it yeah. right now. So, but I remember my brother and my mom 
giving these stories about how excruciating painful it was. And so when I was dealing with my pain in the army and, and getting after I got out of the army, my mom was like, you need to go find a rougher. You need to go find a rougher. And I'm like, I'm not that desperate. <laughs> I don't need it that bad. Um, but it did come to that point where I was like, okay, I, I, I'm that desperate. And so um, I moved to Alaska and Alaska is, or Sitka is an island of 8,000 people. And it grows to like 12,000 in the summer, but 8,000 people. And they had their own certified rougher. She had just got there, just opened so the, business. So you went, did you learn from her? So I, she also taught yoga. And so I, almost as soon as I, I got there and, and the real, realtor was taking me around to find a place, I saw, you know, this office balance practice getting ready to open. Or maybe they had just opened and they had just put their sign up. And I was like, oh, are you kidding me? And... Um, so I, I, she was one of the first people I met and walked in and um, went through. Um, she performed the 10 series on, on me and um, I started doing yoga with her and it just made such a difference for me. And so then I wanted to be, I knew, I knew there was other people in my shoes, you know, that didn't want to just rely on medication to resolve their pain. Um, so I decided to become a rofer. And so uh, when I left... Um, Alaska, I went to, started going to school in Fort, or it's not Fort, um, in Boulder, Colorado at the Rolf Institute. So that's what started the journey. Um, my husband at the time got stationed at McDill. And so you made it back down so to Tampa. So we made it back down yeah. to Tampa, yeah. So and, you, you have been truly blessed, really. Oh, you, significant. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I feel guilty, you know, sharing it, you know, just my experience compared to, um, to oh. someone else's completely different but well you can uh, feel that way but you know you shouldn't feel guilty you know no. we don't even want to use the word shit on the show <laughs> in fact we've talked and discussed that a couple of times but um, so that was the beginning of the journey and then you you know you went into other forms of certification to help people right. did you do it to really to go help yourself first or was it I think this it was desire both. to do it was both for yeah. sure um, when we moved to Florida Florida, I couldn't practice rolfing without a massage license. So I had to go back to massage school to get a license. And you got that here in Florida. So I got that here in Florida. Um, and I've always loved fitness. And so, and I felt like some of the imbalances within our body um, come from lack of strength in are some areas and overstrength in others. And a lot of that is just due to compensation where we've been injured before um, and then we compensate. And so then... Um, so I wanted to be able to help balance and know more about the muscles to be able to help people in that way. So that's why I became a certified personal trainer. So um, your transition, really, you know, we've, we've talked to others before and their transitions were like right out of the bat. It's like they were turned loose by the, their service and, and disappeared. You know, it seemed like you were pretty heady already. You, you, you kind of had a path. It wasn't like you were just, like you got back home and you just did nothing. You're definitely an energy person and you you took advantage of that. Uh, I did. I guess and no. You know, like I, there were definitely times when I, I didn't know what to do or how, how to do it or, you know, the timing of it. But um, I just plugged away and, and tried to... More, I, I, I was searching a lot for myself um, in how to relieve my pain and, pain and what was 
what to do next and how I could help people and how I could, um, I think after I got out of the army and after I left the defense contractor, um, alternative health is such a, you know, those jobs were high intensity, high energy, a lot of hours. It was all computer work and alternative health is so opposite of that. And it's kind it of like the, the, the yin and the yang, you know? Yeah, it took me a long time to actually adjust to that because I lost my momentum. And, um, yeah, it it wasn't like I always had a path and always knew what to do. And it I was lost there for a long time. And doing body work on others was really also hard on my body. And, um, yeah. It, that was significant too, and being able to educate people. You know, not everybody knows what rolfing is or why they need it or why they should pay for it. Um, and in our, our society is so much on medication. You know, they want the quick fix, they want the medication. And so why, and rolfing can take time for your body to integrate it and for you to actually feel the effects. So, and sometimes it can cause more pain because you're, um, unraveling the compensations that your body's built up in order to heal. So sometimes you have to, it goes backwards. You have to get worse before you can get better, right? And so some people don't want to pay for that because they were like, why would I do that when I can take a pill? And so there's a lot of education. And at the time, my limiting beliefs, I struggled in being able to educate people to pay me to come do the work. And I think there was some mentally challenging things when I knew it was going to cause my own body pain to be able to do it. So it was like, <laughs> um, so there was definitely a struggle there. Um, and then I would, I was constantly trying to learn and figure out what was, how to help, how to change that mindset. What do I need to do? Um, and I became a certified corporate wellness specialist thinking, well, maybe if I target larger areas of, of people and have a, bigger mass of people to educate and maybe I can make a, a difference there, especially when the company is paying for or encouraging it because it will help their production. And so I attempted to go that route and it was, and then I started noticing different things with food and when I ate different things, my pain changed and I started noticing with some clients that weren't getting any better and they should have. And when I, we started talking food and recognizing that there's some things in their food that, um, what's the saying, you know, them. you know, you are what you eat. Yeah. It's so true. And it's all, you know, and all that is interconnected. That's what, yeah. you, you know, that, that I've learned a little bit that I know. And I just think it's it's an interesting story because, you know, you've gone from, I don't know, military into the, the health and wellness field. And then now what's even, it's not, you know, none of this. I mean, it's all interesting. But now you're doing real estate. Yeah. So you did the corporate <laughs> Did you find the same thing? It was hard to, to educate. People just didn't want it. Interestingly enough, I never actually... So I started the business. I did one event. And what was the name of the business? It was Root Wellness Solutions. Um, so I had That the, was your company. So that was my company. So I had um, Balanced Roots Integrative Wellness, which was my rolfing massage. Um, and then I started Root Wellness to be my corporate wellness business. Um, and then I went through a divorce and that, uh, that changed everything. And so I never fully pursued it. I spent, um, I, I really don't remember the next couple of years I was in a kind of a dark place. Well, um, we, we don't really have to go there, but, uh, 
you know, mm-hmm. I think we've all been in those places at times. And uh, but you know, it's it's amazing how these things in life, you know, these twists and these turns, and you know, you don't really ever really know where you're going to end up. And which is interesting because how I met Nina was, you know, she called me. She had seen our card somewhere and she called me to find out about our business. And the show is not really about our business, but that's what led her to us. And uh, funny enough, she interviewed me a week ago in a real estate office, which is what she's doing now. And she's selling commercial real estate (laughs) for a company, Lakewood Ranch, Florida. And she seems to be doing a great job at it. Uh, tell us about how, real estate. How do you how go from well wellness <laughs> and, and to? I mean, maybe is it being practical or you just you had to get right. back into figures? I don't know. Yeah, there there came a point when I recognized that my health passion. So I had the certified or the corporate wellness business. Went through the divorce and then decided to start a. I started doing more studying on food healing, and there really wasn't a whole lot of access to healthy food. Um, so I decided to start a healthy food truck, which is like, I gotta tell you, I mean, it was pretty, it was pretty cool because, you know, most people that go into concessions really is what it is. Yeah. You know, they sell Cokes and hot dogs and sausages, which are, which are great. <laughs> but you know, when you see the menu items that Nina had, the very progressive, very out of the box, if you will. Yeah. Tell us about it. So, you know, I, I made everything from scratch. So I, I wanted no processed foods, nothing glute with gluten. Um, I made my marinades from scratch. I made my salad dressings from scratch. And once again, it, it's a it's very expensive to do that. And most of my ingredients were organic. But I, I it takes time to educate the public on what why they should pay the higher prices. And I didn't do a very good job of educating that. And so I ended up charging charging people less than what I was paying. To for labor and um, the ingredients to produce it, so obviously no, hold, I ended let me up get this straight. losing hold, a hold, lot of hold, money. Hold it, hold it. <laughs> You're a finance. I know. <laughs> you know, but you see, but this is this is the whole point of what we're talking about. You know, she, you, you've got a great heart, and that's the whole point. Is that you know you're always doing something in service of others, whether it's raising your right arm and being put in harm's way or, you know, wherever it seems that you've been, you've been helping somebody. Mm. And I think that's really admirable. You know, we don't have those qualities in a lot of people these days. So many times we take so much for granted. And you were talking about being blessed. I'm blessed to be able to to talk to you about these things. Um, (laughs) Real estate, tell us. What what are you doing? What's going on? Yeah. So I closed my food truck um, and had pursued you know health coaching and um, I was getting ready actually to launch my own podcast it's going to be called my vibrant life and interviewing different health modalities so that to edu- I recognize that there was a significant gap in educating the pop our population um, to be able to help heal themselves or help seek alternative um, health sources without having to take a, a pill that's only producing toxins in the body and is really not really addressing um, the issue. Um, and not in all cases, but um, I felt like there was a need to, to do so. And I also recognize that social connection is a big piece of it. I recognize that isolation was a significant part of, of some of my pain and some of my issues. 
And so I wanted to start this podcast called My Vibrant Life and be able to interview different people in different ways so that people are more educated and people would go and search out different things to try different things or connect with other people. And so I had this whole platform and idea and there really is no money in that, (laughs) at least in the beginning, you know, like, and so I started to recognize that maybe I needed to let my passion be my passion and pursue something else that I'm passionate about that actually would pay me so that I could do those other things. And so um, I've always found buildings fascinating. So I was in a um, business fraternity at the University of Tampa and my nickname was Metro Polonius, Keeper of the Sacred Love of Buildings. I've always loved buildings, like the construction. My favorite class in in school when I was younger was was um, construction. I don't think it was called construction. It was like, um, maybe it was called construction, but you built a model home, right? It was the, it was the best class ever. It's just what I remember. And I loved that process. And then my brother being the older brother that he is blew it up with firecrackers on the 4th of July. (laughs) But all that hard work. I know. Well, that's Um, deconstruction, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And so I've, I had invested in, in real estate, um, and had made some significant money in, in doing so. Um, and so I've always been fascinated with the real estate market. And so I was like, you know what, I, I should pursue this as something else that I'm passionate about. And while I'm working with clients and connecting with them, um, I can also share my health passion. And so it's, I can combine both worlds. And when you mentioned about me interviewing you, it's I found a platform where I can connect and interview local businesses, uh, whether it be health businesses or organizations or any businesses that are helping um, our community and I'm able to connect with them and interview them and so I feel like I'm able to pursue both passions so I'm able to sponsor that as a real estate agent but also be able to interview and connect and educate the population uh, and the community about what's available so um, it's kind of the best of both worlds so that's how I ended up in real estate well it seems like you know the path to get here was definitely one with uh, wasn't all smooth sailing but it seems to be working out for you. If you had anything to the non-veteran or non-military population about veterans or combat veterans, uh, what kind of wisdom would you want them to know? I would say love us, not fear us. Accept us. We have the biggest hearts and we want to... I don't believe it's a, a matter of... War isn't a matter of, which I don't like, but it's not a matter of taking over other countries but it's about protecting what we have and you have individuals who are willing to give up their life to protect what we have and protect others um, and sacrifice themselves for others and we're not to be feared we are just like them and we've we've had experiences and journeys that you know a lot of a lot of the veterans shouldn't have had to go through but they did and and they can use that experience to be able to grow and help others in ways that most can't even comprehend at this time but if they get to know them it'll just add so much value to them that's definitely some some good wisdom that you know came through some school of hard knocks and if you had to you know, brothers and sisters that wore the uniform too, maybe not necessarily the same branch, but going through transition or going through life in general, you know, that have served in the, our country, what would you want them to know? I think the biggest thing is to forgive yourself. I think sometimes we take on 
so much of what we've been through that we blame ourselves. Yeah, forgiveness and, and love, love ourselves, which is not an easy process, but um, we deserve, we deserve that love and we deserve that forgiveness um, first and foremost for ourselves. That's some excellent wisdom. I, um, I think it's the first person that I've spoken to on Straight Outta Combat that talked about love, you know, and maybe it has been said, but it's been said in a different way. All I can say is that I'm very honored and privileged to have you here in this interview today on Straight Outta Combat, and, you know, we're, we're all on a mission, and I would, um, we've just begun and it, it's a big mission to diminish the, the negative stereotype of veterans in general and you've been a big part of the show already. Um, thank you for your service. Thank you for being Nina. Um, I look forward to seeing you again and uh, I just hope that people continue to listen to Straight Outta Combat Radio. You know we interview real people here. Uh, we're proudly American or unapologetically um, American, I should say. We're politically incorrect sometimes, and uh, we understand the high cost of freedom. And we just are so glad and grateful that you tuned in with us on this episode of Straight Outta Combat Radio. Thank you, Nina, and God bless. Thank you, John, and thank you for what you're doing. You're welcome. You gotta before they burn it down. Thank you for listening to another episode of Straight Outta Combat Radio, audio medicine from Green Zone Hero. If you liked what you heard, then tell others about us. Like us and download us. And please remember, freedom is not free, and combat veterans are vital assets. They're not broken. Yeah.